Hebrews chapter 12, I draw your attention to the verse 2. Looking on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Looking on to Jesus is our subject tonight. Now in this call, we are reaching the climax of Hebrews 11 and Hebrews 12. And indeed of the whole epistle, it's a kind of mountain peak that the apostle has been bringing us up here. And if we were to cut away all of the epistle words and to bring it down, to reduce it, even to reduce it to just three words, I think these would be the three words that it would be reduced to. This, this is what the whole epistle is about. This is what Paul desires in the people of God. Three words. Looking onto Jesus. We have to spend time here at this climax. We looked at it this morning and we continue to do so tonight. What I'm saying tonight is really an only introduction again uh, to this idea of looking onto Jesus and we may have to continue it on another occasion. I, I do have to point out that in the original this first line is wonderfully arranged by Paul. I only say this to show Paul's emphasis and to show you how wonderful the verse really is. Looking on to Jesus has in the Greek six words between. Looking on to, and then there are six words between. And Jesus actually comes up after those six words. Our English translator has put look on to Jesus and then the words in between have sort of tagged that after. There's an emphasis in the, the Apostle Paul, the way that he writes it. Uh, and literally it is looking to the author and finisher of faith, Jesus. There's so many people here in chapter 11, so many people who've been in the race, so many people, the cloud of witnesses, but looking on to who? The author and finisher of faith. Who's that? Was that Abel? Was that Enoch? No. Jesus. Just Jesus. Jesus only. So that's where the emphasis is. While there are so many people here, this solitary person is the only one we are to constantly look to by faith and trust. And it's here looking on to Jesus, that humble pilgrim who endured the cross, who despised the shame that he had to face, who suffered all the abuse that he suffered. Jesus. Yes, it's him, Jesus of Nazareth. He's the one we look to. He has the name of his earthly pilgrimage. When he was born, he was called Jesus. When he walked throughout life up until his death, he was known as Jesus. This is Jesus of Nazareth. So his pilgrimage on earth is coming to the fore. He is the chief pilgrim. 
He is the one who was in the race too, just like Abel was in the race and we are in the race. So Jesus is in the race, as Abraham and all the rest of them were. And so looking on to Jesus then is, is our subject tonight. And it's the most important thing that a Christian can do. This is the essence of living the Christian life, really. This is a very important thing. Looking on to Jesus. It's the most important thing that the sinner has to do. This is how the sinner is saved. This is how the Christian life starts. This is how you begin the race. It begins even by looking to Jesus. Doesn't the Savior say, look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God. You have to look to me. And that's how we got saved, and how we commenced. We looked to Jesus. You remember how Moses made a brass serpent and put it on a pole? Because God said to him, whenever anybody is bitten by a serpent, if they look to the raised serpent on the pole, they will be healed. So they had to look to that pole, uplifted high. And that's Christ. He said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth on him, whosoever looks unto him, will have eternal life. So it's by looking, by believing, that we are saved and commence the path. And that's Jesus on the cross. As he's raised on the cross, he is inviting people to look. That's why his arms are outstretched at Calvary from the east to the west as he embraces all the nations, calling all men to look unto him. If I be lifted up, I draw all men unto me. And he raises out his arms in signification that he does that. And men are invited to look to him and to become Christians. And so that's how the journey begins. And if you're not a Christian... You don't know anything about this, what we're talking about tonight. What this is, looking on to Jesus. But you have to begin. You have to look to Christ for salvation. You're a poor sinner. And you're perishing. You have the bite of death that will bring you to hell. And the only one is Christ who can remove the curse and the awful effects of that death in your body and soul. Only the Lord Jesus. And you have to look to him by faith, as he says, look unto me and be saved. But this looking to Jesus is not just a past act once and for all. There are some people seem to think that you've received Jesus and that's nothing more to do. You just, you just go on your merry way. But no, that's not the way it is. You look unto Jesus and it's not a once and for all act. That's just the start of it. You have to continue looking unto Jesus. You have to continue believing in Jesus. You have to continue trusting in him. So the sinner on the road, put on the road by looking to Christ, continues in that road and gets the grace to continue in that road by continuing to look onto Jesus. So keeping focus on Christ is the essential of keeping in and progressing on the path. And so for the Christian, 
This is the essence of living the Christian life. Living to the glory of God. Living to the spiritual benefit of our souls. There are no shortcuts. It is only by daily, perpetually looking onto Jesus that we continue. So it's not something new for the Christian, but it is something that must continue. Now, the imagery of the context here, looking on to Jesus, as you'll see from the end of verse 1, is athletics, running the race. We're to run the race with patience, looking on to Jesus. You see, the believer's course is a heavenly course, a course to heaven that is before us. And we have to run that course. Now, it's not a nice stadium track. Now, some of the expositors, they say there's a stadium here. These cloud of witnesses, they are the witnesses who watch the race. They're there in the, in the pews watching the race, as it were, and the Christians running around the nice stadium here. And all the witnesses, they're just witnessing the, the event. Well, that is a wrong exposition of this passage of Scripture. The witnesses are not witnessing the event. The witnesses have been in the race themselves. They're witnesses of what the path is like. They're witnesses of the difficulty of the course. They're witnesses of what you have to face and why you have to keep looking on to the hope that's set before you. They're that kind of witnesses. They're not spectators. The Christian doesn't have a nice wee arena and a wee comfortable stadium. That's not the kind of race that we're in. It's cross-country. It's over mountains and hills. It's through wilderness and desert. That's the kind of course that it is. It's hard. And there's opposition. And there are few to cheer us on. And there are plenty to seek to knock us off. And to lay the snares. And to put things in the way. And to oppose us as we progress. That's the kind of course that it is. Hebrews 11 makes that all clear. So it's not a nice stadium, people cheering us on. That's not the scene at all. The scene is the same as those witnesses themselves passed through. What did they pass through? Well, you have it there in verse 37. They passed through stones. They were stoned. They passed through the saw. They were sawn asunder. They passed through temptation. That's the word we're going to emphasize tonight. They were tempted they were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins. Not their nice little tracksuits and everything well. No, sheepskins and goatskins, that's their dress as they run the race. And where do they run? The deserts. They wandered in the deserts, in the mountains, in the dens, in the caves of the earth. That's the course. And that gives you an idea of how hard it is, how difficult it is. And so these witnesses, they're not watching us. They've witnessed to us by the path that they themselves have took and they have run the race and they have finished. And just as Paul said, I've fought the fight, I've finished the course, the race. And so all these Old Testament witnesses are the same. Now before we entered the race, the devil resisted us and he prevented us from getting on to the course. But now that we're on the course... He resists us to divert us off the course, to distract us, 
He failed to have us looking to Jesus one day, the grace of the Holy Spirit overcome his power, and we look to Jesus. But now he wants to take our gaze off Jesus, to distract us. And we have to keep looking on to Jesus. Now the verb look here is an unusual verb in the New Testament scriptures. In fact, it's the only occurrence of it in the New Testament. And the Greek scholars say it means to turn the eyes from other things and fix them on something else. So it's to fix the mind from other things that it could be upon to fix the mind very definitely on one thing. That's the thought in it. Not to be distracted by anything else. And Christians are to be a people of one thing. One thing should be before us. One thing we should focus on more than anything else. And that's looking on to Jesus. God manifest in flesh who came among us. Our God and Saviour Jesus Christ. To look upon him is the chief thing. We're so easily distracted. Paul knows that. And that's why he says this. And we all know ourselves, congregation, that our minds and hearts are constantly facing distractions. Well, there's something in the body, a pain or a problem in life. You know what it's like? It, it diverts us. It distracts us. And the list of things that do this are endless. And looking means refusing to be diverted by them. Taking every glance off them and fixing our focus on Christ, on Christ alone. Now Satan is master of diversion. He is master of distraction. There is so much coming from without upon our spirit, upon our mind. And a lot of this is satanic, other spirits. As well as other things. And the devil is the one who is constantly saying, Hey, look at this. Look at this annoyance in your life. Focus on that. Look at this object. Look at this pleasure. Look at this disgraceful thing that has been said about you. Look at this or that or the other. Some object, other things. Look at this problem. Everything potentially can divert us, distract us from focusing on Christ. And we all know that. We know it too well. And Paul does too. And that's why he's saying this. And as I say, the devil is the author and the master of distraction. Now take the temptation of Christ by Satan. That is why we, we read this, because we want to introduce this tonight into the message. God's Son, the pilgrim, the author and finisher of our faith, he makes the journey as well through life. And his pilgrimage is unique, because he is the one who leads us through the journey, through the pilgrimage. He's the pioneer. The pioneer is the one who goes before, but he's also bringing his people with him he's, he's establishing himself in the land in heaven he's made the journey to heaven he's went through the pilgrimage and he's bringing his people after him as well so that they all get to that heavenly place 
like himself. He's the pioneer. He's the captain of our salvation. And Jesus was on that journey. He was on that course to glory. He is the only one who was sinless on that course to glory. He's the only one who perfectly completed it without falling, without faltering. The chief pilgrim, the sinless pilgrim, the one who finished the course like none other. And this pilgrim had to travel through it and he, he faces all the things that we face. And didn't Paul say this? In all points, tempted like as we are. He's on the same course, you see. He has all these temptations coming across his path. And we have the same. Tempted like as we are. That's the word I'm emphasizing tonight. Tempted. In all points, like as we are, yet without sin. And then he, Hebrews 11, verse 37. Stone sawn asunder. Tempted. The same word. The chief pilgrim was tempted in all points. And now all these pilgrims, every one of them, tempted as well in the journey of life. And we're the same. We're no different. We're tempted too. We're all tempted. And every temptation, his one aim is to take the focus off looking onto Christ. To lose sight of Jesus and to look on something else. So as I say, Christ's temptation is, is an illustration of this point. Because after his baptism, whenever he had that wonderful vision, he was driven out into the wilderness. That was his course. He's leading us to glory. We go through the wilderness. He has to go through the same. That's what his life is all about, bringing us through the wilderness. Every step is for us. Every step in the desert, every step in the temptations of Satan, it's all for us. For the joy that's set before him, he endures it. He's looking to something, you see. Jesus has something to look on to. What does Jesus look on to? He's looking on to us. That's what kept him on the journey, looking on to us. Doing it for us. Not taking his eyes off us. He didn't let the devil divert him because he's looking on to us. Finishing the journey with him. He's doing it for us. Yes, he looked to his father. There's no question about that. He trusted his father. He had devotion to his father. He kept looking on to his father in that regard. But when he's going through the world, the desert, is not what happens here at the end of chapter 11. They go through the wilderness, the desert, the mountain, the dens, the caves. That's Jesus. Jesus had nowhere to lay his head. He's in the wilderness being tempted of Satan. He's in the dens and the caves. He's on the mountains praying at night or early in the morning. Or in Gethsemane. You remember in Gethsemane there was a cave in Gethsemane. That's where he went every night during the, the Passover week. Into the cave with his disciples to pray. Where the mill was in, in the place of the grinding of the olive. The olives for the oil. Gethsemane. The dens and caves. Jesus knows all about it. And he kept on. He didn't leave the course he didn't say, I'm going to have to give up this cave and get a nice big house here in the world. No. He's eyeing his people. The sheep in the wilderness that are lost. I'm looking on to them. I'm looking for them. I can't take my focus off them. The joy of having them with me in the glory. I have to keep at it. So he's looking on to us. And he's looking for us. His delights were with the sons of men. 
So think about that, child of God. Jesus looking on to you in his life. He's looking on to you in his death. Even as he stretches out his arms to draw you onto himself. He's looking on to you as he dies and sheds his precious blood. Looking on to us. Imagine that. Not taking his eyes off us. But the joy that's set before him. Enduring it all. For us. He never loses his focus. Never loses his gaze. But he does it for his sheep. Jesus never took his eyes off us. And we must not take our eyes off him. That's what I'm saying. Remember Peter took his eyes off Jesus. He denied him. He wasn't looking to Jesus then when he took his eyes off Christ. But you know whenever he turned. Who was looking at him? It was Jesus. Jesus was looking at Peter. And Peter saw him looking onto him. And he felt ashamed. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Jesus is looking on to the lost sheep. And that's why he endures a cross. And that's why he despises his shame. Because he's, he's looking. The chief pilgrim had to look as well to endure. He does look to us lovingly and sacrificially and substitutionally. And Satan sought to distract him from all of that. That's what we're saying. And we're the same. We have to look on to Jesus as he looked on to us. So that we will sit at the, at the heavenly table with him. The joy of together of being with him. And the devil is wanting to distract us just as he wanted to distract Jesus. And if we look at the temptations, Jesus is in the wilderness. And you see the temptations there in Matthew chapter 4. Now the first temptation in verse 3. As the tempter came and said to him, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Do, do you see how the devil works here? He doesn't just come to Jesus and put a wee thought in his mind. He always brings him to a place where he can visually see something. Something to see. Something to be physical, to actually distract him. These stones. Do you see these stones? They're like little bops. He's hungry. 40 days without bread. He's very hungry. These stones, you know, Jesus, you, you could make these stones little loaves of bread. And then he brought him up into the pinnacle of the temple. And that was very physical as well, very visual. And there's all the people about and all the crowds below and all the multitudes about. And it could be a great display. You know, you could throw yourself over here, Jesus. And the angels could come and bury you up and wouldn't that be spectacular? Everybody could see that. It's even in the Bible. It's written here. You'll not land there and dash your feet in pieces, but you'll be delivered by the angels. You believe the Bible, don't you, Jesus? So here's the text, you see. Here's the text. So he's getting his mind off saving us. He's getting his mind off redeeming us by his cross work. And getting it on to something for himself. These stones. This temple. And then he brings him up into a high mountain. And he gives him another big vision. It's very distracting. And there's so much in vision today. That's put before our gaze. And it's all a distraction. And he showed Jesus this great vision. A great cinema picture if it was. The vision of all the world. Of all its glory. Of all the kingdoms. He says that could be yours Jesus. You could have that. 
Never mind your people. Never mind sitting with them in the glory that is, you know, beyond the cross and you have to go through the cross for it. But you can have it all now if you just fall down here and worship me. And that could have been a great distraction. I, I dare say for us, it would have been overwhelming. But Jesus wasn't distracted. Not loaves. He wouldn't change them. He keeps looking onto his children, onto, onto his, his sheep. And he won't come off the path. The path is a way of offering his body and blood on the cross to redeem them. That's the only path. The Hebrew word for stones it contains the word for son or daughter, children. The idea of stones being children or sons and daughters is because when you take stones, you, you build up a house with stones. And so to build up a house, a family, you need sons and daughters like stones. The devil is saying, these are the stones. You turn them into loaves. But I know what Jesus was thinking about in the, in the wilderness. And he, he quotes from the book of Deuteronomy whenever the people are traveling through the wilderness. You remember the words of John the Baptist? That God, as of these stones, is able to raise children onto Abraham. The Lord Jesus said, that's not what I'm about. Stones into loaves? I'm not building a kingdom of, of loaves. I'm going to build a kingdom of, of children. Of sons and daughters in the faith. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm the author and finisher of faith. That's why I'm in this pilgrimage. I, I'm leading the children through the wilderness. I'm leading the sons and daughters through the wilderness. I'm giving an exodus to the children. That's what Jesus is thinking about and saying. And the epistle to the Hebrews brings this out very much. For as much as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also likewise himself took part of the same. I've come for the children. I've come for the sons and daughters of God. That's what I'm about. And at that joy in the glory, he says, Behold, I and the children which thou hast given me. Paul has brought this all out in his epistle. And even he goes on here to say, later on in this chapter, in verse 5, he says, You have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, my son. Despise not thou the chasing of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. So Jesus isn't building a kingdom of loaves. He has come to build a kingdom of sons and daughters that he has redeemed by his blood. And he's leading them out of the wilderness into the heavenly Jerusalem. That's why he's come. And he wasn't diverted from that. He wasn't distracted from that. He's looking onto his children. He's doing it for his children. For you and me. I think this is simply wonderful that Christ was not distracted for your sake or for my sake but endured the shame, the cross, the abuse for the joy of being with his children in the heavenly glory. And we are to not be distracted but to look unto him, our elder brother. We have to continue looking it's the one thing needful congregation. This is something you have to practice. This is something you have to experience daily. You have to do it. 
You have to be Mary, not Martha. What does Mary do? She sits at Jesus' feet. She looks onto Jesus. She focuses on Jesus. She doesn't let anything else distract her. Martha, as good and godly as she is, she's the one who's cumbered and distressed because she's distracted by the meal not being hot and ready. She's distracted by the suppers, by the food, by getting it out in time. Let us be content to be Mary's and give our whole focus, even our women, not to be burdened by the burden of suppers, but to be able to give without distraction or worry or care to the looking onto Jesus and the focusing upon him. And so only Jesus. So Martha was distracted, cumbered, just looking to too much. And the human mind can't do that. What did this arm say? One thing. One thing have I desired. I can only focus on one thing. To behold the beauty of the Lord. And to inquire in his temple. One thing is needful. And so only Jesus, only Jesus, keep looking on to Jesus. And why do we have to do this? Because he is the author and finisher of faith. Looking on to the author and finisher of faith, Jesus. You see, Jesus is the author and finisher of faith. And he alone. Not Abel. Not Abraham, as great as a man of faith he is. Not Moses even. But Jesus alone is the author and finisher of faith. That is, he's the true pattern of the Christian life. He's the one who run the course perfectly from beginning to end, from the start to the finish. He is the only one who finished it perfectly. And so we look to him as a pattern. But as I said, there's more than just a pattern here. He has the power. He's the pioneer, you see, who doesn't just only produce the pattern. He's the pioneer who has the power to pull us into the race, to pull us into the pattern and to pull us to glory himself. He's the one with the power. And so he is the originator of faith. He's the one who put us in the race. He's the one who gave us the grace to start it at all. He's the one who gave us the faith to look to him at the beginning. Who saved us by his grace and gave us the gift of faith so that we could start the Christian life. We commence. Because Jesus commenced the faith in our hearts. And he doesn't only commence it. He finishes it. He's the author and finisher of our faith. You see, this is the thing about faith, the gift of God. Whenever Christ truly begins it, he completely finishes it. He does. He's not the author and then his children are lost and go off on all different kinds of way and perish. No, he's the author but he's also the finisher. He who has begun the good work in you completes it until the day of Jesus Christ. And so he finishes. And that's why we have to look to him. Because his is the power that keeps us. His is the power that keeps drawing us along the difficult route. His is the power that gives us the grace to overcome all the temptations and all the obstacles and difficulties. And when we fall along the way, His is the grace that lifts us up again as we look to Him 
And so it's important to look to him because it's by looking to him that he imparts his spirit to us in grace that we get to the finish line at the end of the day. So child of God, don't, don't take your eyes off Christ. Get that gaze again upon your dear Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, to whom be glory evermore, along with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Amen.